Well, uh, turn me your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Uh, we are the Kareki family going to the newbie people of Uganda. And uh, as you saw in the video, they're a, a tribe in Uganda that is, they don't have the Bible in their language and they don't have any churches. And Lord willing, it's our plan to go there, start a newbie church and translate the Bible for them. So, uh, we have uh, prayer cards. Our prayer cards are out there on the table. There's an iPad out there where if you want to put your email address in and you want to get our email updates, you can sign up for that. And so, uh, all right, let's just get into the message here uh, this morning, Matthew chapter 28. If you've been in uh, independent Baptist churches at any time or just around Bible teaching in general, you've probably heard people talk about what we call the Great Commission. The Great Commission. And uh, we find that here in Matthew chapter 28. Uh, before we read the Bible text here, we need to remember that uh, what's going on here. Of course, we know that uh, if you started in the beginning of the book of Matthew, you would find about how Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. And uh, Jesus Christ fulfilled all these prophecies in the Bible. And he went around and he did miracles. Healing people who couldn't see, uh, causing people who couldn't walk to be able to walk, and all sorts of other different miracles. And he, he preached, and he taught about God, and he, he did a lot of things, and he was rejected by his own people. The religious leaders uh, brought him to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, and they demanded that he crucify Jesus Christ. And they accused him of all sorts of crimes that were not true. And Jesus, during his ministry, had people that would follow him. Uh, we think of uh, the 12 disciples, or the apostles, and uh, he taught them, and they, they saw him do all these things, and he repeatedly told them that he was going to be betrayed. But he told them that he was going to rise from the dead. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross, and he died on that cross for our sins, the Bible says he was bearing in his body our sins when he was dying upon that cross. And when he was on that cross, he said he prayed to God and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And, of course, there's the whole conversation with him and the, the thief on the cross who said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And there was darkness that came over the land. And when Jesus finally did die on that cross, there was an earthquake and there was a Roman soldier that was there, and he, seeing all these things that happened, he said, truly this was the Son of God. And they took Jesus and they buried him in the tomb. And I'm glad that's not the end of it. Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And I really believe that 2,000 years ago, there was a Jewish man named Jesus who was virgin born. I, believe, I really believe he did all those miracles. I really believe that he died on the cross, and not only that he died on the cross, but that when he was dying on that cross, he was paying for my sins, and that he was really buried, and that he really rose from the dead. That's what we call the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ came, that he died for our sins, that he was buried, and he rose from the dead. It's after all these events that have taken place where we come here where Jesus, after he's risen from the dead, is speaking to his disciples 
and kind of giving them what we call the Great Commission. All right, so let's look at finally look at our Bible here, Matthew chapter 28. We'll start in verse 18 and read uh, to the end of the chapter. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Let's pray for a minute here. Lord, I just thank you so much for the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Christ came and died for our sins, was buried and rose from the dead. And thank you for the scriptures that we have here this morning. I pray that you will bless uh, the teaching and the preaching of your word this morning, that you would use it to, to guide our steps and direct our path and uh, use it to correct us and to instruct us and uh, to help us live for you and to honor and glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is what we call the Great Commission. And so Jesus tells his disciples to go and to teach all the nations. And that would involve going and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, telling people that Jesus Christ came and he died for their sins, that he was buried and rose from the dead. And through the preaching of that message to all these nations, there are going to be people that are going to believe that message. And they're going to trust Christ and they're going to have their sins forgiven. And we're to take those people and we're to baptize them. Baptizing the people who believe is part of fulfilling the Great Commission and obeying Christ. Not only are we to preach the gospel to them and to baptize them, but we're also to teach them to observe all the things that Jesus commanded. Teach them what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Teach them all that uh, in, is involved in living the Christian life and I really believe that in order to do that part of the Great Commission, there's two things that need to take place. The, the first one is, is church planting. Uh, we are church planting missionaries. We're going to start a newbie church. You know, you can preach the gospel and baptize people, and you can even go to places and start orphanages and feed starving children. And um, you can do all those things, but part of the Great Commission is starting churches. You realize that you can't be a, a follower of Jesus Christ and be a good disciple of Jesus without being part of a Bible-believing church. And I don't mean just going to a building. I mean, we're all gathered here right now. We are the church right now. We're gathered together for the purpose of studying God's Word, keep obeying God's Word, learning God's Word, hearing the preaching of the Word of God, and then the rest of the week we're to go out and to obey what we've heard and follow the God, uh, the teachings of the Bible and to go out and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and see our friends and our family members, our co-workers believe the gospel. We're, we're, we want to see them get baptized and we want to teach them what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And we want them to come in and start assembling. And the, and the whole process is supposed to keep going. And so we're going to we want to start a newbie church. The second thing is Bible translation. Um, if you, you might have saw me playing on my phone there. I'm kind of I'm working on a message in my mind right now about the importance of the Scripture and the importance of Bible translation. Wow, what would you do if you didn't have this, the Scriptures in your language? It's important for people to hear the Word of God in their own language. I, this guy, we got the, the translation going on here in the back of the room. 
It's important for people to hear the word of God in their own language and to be able to read it in their own language. And so we're gonna, we want to go and we want to translate the Bible. But all those things are part of the Great Commission. Preaching the gospel to people, seeing people believe and get saved. But not just that, baptizing people. Continuing to teach them and disciple them. Starting churches. Translating the Bible. All that is what is entailed in the Great Commission. But I want to uh, focus your attention on this. There's three words here in verse 18 where he said to teach all nations. And I really want to focus on one word. It's the word nations here. I don't know what the word is in Spanish or the Spanish Bible, but I know that in the English Bible, a lot of times when people read this passage and they read the Bible, and when people come across this word nations, people tend to think of what we think is political countries. So maybe you read that and we might think of like China or Russia or Brazil or France or whatever, you name it. Well, that's not really what this word means. This word nation, if you were to look it up in Greek, it's the word ethnos. Now, in English, we have a word that comes from that word. It's the word ethnicity. And that word is not so much about political countries or political boundaries, but it's the idea of this word is a tribe or a race of people. To give you an example, in the political country that is called Uganda, there's about 53 different ethnic groups in that country. And each of those groups will speak, they'll have their own language that they speak. Um, and uh, that's the language they speak in their homes when they're interacting with each other. And wherever you go in the country, the, in the different parts, there will be a tribe that is the majority there. And, and whatever their tribal language is, that'll be a language that's spoken there commonly. But it, that, the, the language that's spoken can change depending on where you're at in the country. So even in Uganda, English is an official language. But it's a, more of like a trade language. So the people will all speak different languages when they're interacting with themselves or, or whatnot. But... Uh, you got to understand that the rest of the world is not like America. America is very unique, and uh, even a lot of our European countries are different. Uh, uh, kind of like this. So in America, I can go to any state, whether it's Florida or Alaska or California or Hawaii or Illinois, and pretty much generally speaking, okay, wherever you go, I can pretty much talk to anybody. Um, we don't have, I know that we have different pockets of people that are speaking different languages, but generally speaking, most of the people that you come across in America speak English as their first language. Um, and so I can pretty much go anywhere and preach the gospel to most people, okay? Now, if you were to go to somewhere like Uganda or China or Nepal, it's not going to be like that because... Even in, well, let me use Nepal as an example. In Nepal, they speak the official language is called Nepali. But there are a lot of different ethnic groups in Nepal that they don't speak Nepali as their first language. They might have these different tribalistic uh, languages that they speak. And the point that I'm trying to make 
is that the Great Commission is not just go and reach every political country. We, you know, some churches want to, they have a goal of, they want to try to support a missionary in every country that they can. Uh, and that's not really the goal. The goal is to reach every ethnic group in these different political countries because the goal is to reach every single nation or tribe, or I'm going to use the, the phrase people group. That's the terminology you'll see some people, uh, uh, you'll see articles online talking about this and a people group or a nation in the Bible is just, it's a group of people that have their own distinct language and culture. You see this even in the Bible. So during the time of Christ and the apostles, the Romans had this territory that they controlled around the land of Israel. But in that territory that they controlled, you had Romans, you had Samaritans, you had Ethiopians, and you can read in Acts chapter 2 about all the different ethnic groups that were there and the different languages that they, they spoke. And so in the political boundaries there that Rome controlled, there were different nations of people. And so the, the goal of the Great Commission is to reach every nation with the gospel of Jesus Christ, to reach all these different ethnic tribes from around the world. Now I want to talk about this. And so if we were to look at the world, there's about 7.8 billion people in the world, and we could break them up into groups of three. The first third of the world, it's about 33% of the world, are people who identify as Christian. These are people, they might not necessarily be evangelical or Baptist or whatnot, but they're people that they claim some kind of Christianity. These are people that they have the Bible translated into their language. They have churches of many different stripes of Christianity, but they identify as some kind of Christian, okay? The next 38% of the world are people that they belong to ethnic groups that have the Bible in their language. They have churches that are there, but they themselves have rejected Christianity, and they are maybe Buddhist or Hindu or, or Muslim, okay? So, for example, if, if, if we had an American that for some reason was a Hindu, they, there's Bible in English, we have churches, but they would, they would fall into this category because they don't claim Christianity, but they, the Bible is there in their language and whatnot. All right, the last 29% of the world, it's about 2.1 billion people. These are people that they belong to people groups or ethnic groups. They either don't have the Bible in their language, they don't have indigenous churches, or they don't have other believers that are near them that are in their ethnic group. And they're what we would, we would call them uh, unreached peoples. Okay? So basically you got about a third in each category. A third of the world identifies as Christian. They have, they have access to Christian resources, Bibles, etc. They claim some kind of Christianity. Okay, not necessarily all of them are saved. The next third are people that they have these access to Christian resources, but they don't claim any kind of Christianity. And then the last third are people that they don't have access to Bibles, they don't have the Bible in their language, they don't have churches and whatnot. Okay, so about a third in each category. Okay, <clears throat> one out of every eighteen hundred Christians from the Christian group are ever cross-cultural missionaries. 
Now, when we look at where, where do missionaries go, okay, because there are missionaries out there that, that go and they, they bring the gospel to people. 72% of all missionaries go to that first part of the world that we talked about that identify as Christian. 25% of missionaries go to the resistant group, the second group, and only 3% of all missionaries actually go to unreached people groups. I was reading an article here just a few minutes ago. Depending on how you define unreached people groups, I've seen that number as low as 0.1% of missionaries going to, to unreached people groups, depending on how, how you define that, okay? Money. When we start talking about money, it, it's interesting. Christians on average give 2% of their income to Christian causes. So this could be anything from giving to your church to giving to a Christian charity to whatever. Uh, 6% of that money goes to missions, generally. 20, or 87% of the money that goes to missions goes to ministries and helping people who are working in the first part, that, that Christian part of the world. 12% goes to the next group, and only 1% of all missions giving, on average, goes to reaching unreached people groups. But remember, unreached peoples make up about 29% of the world. So 3% of all missionaries, with 1% of missions giving, going to reach unreached peoples. And I would... Say that those are the groups that are truly needy. People that don't have the Bible in their language and don't have anything are very high on the, the neediness spectrum, okay? Those are the people that really, really need somebody because the Bible is not just going to fall out of the sky and just land on their lap. You know, it's not like one day the people are just going to walk outside and God's miraculously going to just cause a church building to just be there and they're just going to create a pastor out of thin air and he's just going to be there, okay? Those people, in order for those people to be reached, somebody somewhere has to say, you know, they have to understand the Great Commission, say, I'm going to go dedicate my life to translating the Bible and starting the church. And so, let me ask you a question. Do you think God is bad at math? I haven't had anybody say yes to that question yet, okay? Because we know that's not true. Okay, now, do you think God's willing that some people would perish? All right, we know the Bible says the opposite of that, right? Now, when Jesus told those disciples to go and teach all nations, did he actually intend for them to go to every single nation? Or just some of them? Like, just, hey, kind of do your guys' best. If you don't hit all of them, that's okay. Okay? No. So why? Are there languages that still don't have the Bible translated? Why are there ethnic people groups that belong to people groups that there are some of them that literally have zero churches of any kind of Christianity? Why? What is going on? If that is God's will... Right, And we know that God's will is never contrary to God's word. And we know that God's will is for all nations to have the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why is the, 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 the predominant number of missionaries that go out 
are going to ethnic groups and they're going to people and they're going to places where a lot of times there's a Bible that's already been translated in their language. There are already believers within that ethnic group that could reach them. Why? You know, I, 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 I've heard stories of like, okay, people from like, I think I've heard of like Filipinos are sending missionaries to America. Now, I know that part of the world, the Philippines, I think there are unreached ethnic groups in the Philippines. I think there are probably some that don't have the Bible in their language, okay? I can't, I don't think there are any, I don't think we have any here in America. I think, I think the majority of ethnic groups in, here in America have a Bible in their language, okay? But just, just from a, I know this is a pragmatic point of view, but what, what need is for there, for, just for our example, for a Filipino to come to America, when we have Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches all over this place, we have Americans that are here, we speak the language fluently of the people, we have a Bible in their language. What need is for that, that Filipino, Just I'm just using an example, I'm not thinking of any individual person, why should they go around raising money and, and come to America over here when there are people all around the world that don't have anything in their language, don't have, don't have whatever, okay? I, what's going on? That's right. Laborers are few. God's people are not doing what they're supposed to be doing. The gospel was intended to go to every nation, okay? Every people group. And 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 what's happening is the gospel that's in, it's intended to go out to all the earth and to all the people, right? To the uttermost parts of the earth. Uh, the gospel, kind of what's happening with with missions work is, you know, instead of going to new people groups, a lot of times the missionaries that are going out and the money that's being sent is we're just taking the gospel and we're kind of circulating it amongst this network of people that already have the gospel. I don't know if if that's making sense, okay? So, like, you might have a, a missionary who, you know, Okay, like let's, take, let's just take for example the country of Germany, right? Okay, I know that there are a lot of unsafe people in Germany. I'm not against people going to Germany and starting churches, but I know this. I know that there's a German Bible. I know that there are German believers that are over there. Okay, and that's fine. Instead, it's like we so we we have missionaries maybe from America that are going to Germany, and maybe you might have missionaries from Germany going to Britain. Okay. And like 87% of all missionaries is like those kind of scenarios where you're sending a missionary from one place that has the gospel to another place that doesn't. And I'm not saying any of those people are not doing what they're supposed to be doing because I'm not God, okay? I'm not going to tell them what to do. But if God wants all nations to have the gospel of Jesus Christ, and there are all these these Bibleless languages and these people groups that don't have the gospel... Somewhere, there is a problem, a serious problem. Um, there's a group out there called Wycliffe Bible Translators, and I, I did some research. I got some information from them. There are 7,353 languages in the world. Only about 698 of languages have a complete Bible. Um, there's about 2,000 languages out there that don't have a single verse of Scripture that's been translated. 
Okay. Now, uh, there's a website out there. It's called Joshua Project. I, I put some screenshots in our video from this website. And Joshua Project is a catalog of the world's people groups. And it, they're, they're, they're some kind of Christianity. I don't know what exactly they are, but... They have cataloged the world's people groups, and you can read about all these different people groups. They'll have, like, biographical information, religious information. They'll have information about whether or not they have the Bible. And you can go up and bring up a map, and you can look at the globe, and, and they'll have dots all around the globe, and the dots are color-coded, and the dots represent different people groups. And we learned about people groups when I was at Baptist Bible Translators Institute. Um, I want to just go through some of these groups. Like, uh, we're going to the newbie. The newbie, there's 34,000 of these people in Uganda. They're 100% Muslim. They have no Bible. Uh, people group in Indonesia called the Kluet people. 55,000 people, no Bible in their language. Uh, Imak people in Afghanistan. 132,000 people, no Bible. Um, Ingesana people in Sudan. Uh, no Bible. 76,000 people. Uh, they worship the sun god. Okay, and I don't have time to go through. I could, I know these are just names to us, but these are whole ethnic groups that many of them don't have anything in terms of translation of the Bible into their language. Many of them are considered 100% of whatever their religion is, whether it's Muslim or Buddhism or, or, or their tribalistic, animistic religions or whatnot, okay? And I could, I could go on and on. We could talk about people groups. I could name them. It would take me hours and hours and hours to go through some of them. They say that more people know the name or the brand Coca-Cola than the name Jesus. That's what I've been told. You can go around the world and uh, Coca-Cola cans have gotten in some of the most obscure places around the world. Places like the, the Amazon jungle, um, the Himalayan mountains, stuff like that. Man, that just doesn't seem fair to me. That uh, there are I know people in America who've heard the gospel multiple times and they and they just don't care. And they just rejected it. And yet there are people around the world that have never heard the name of Jesus. Never even heard the name of Jesus. Uh, it's crazy to me. Um, when uh, when I first started contacting churches on deputation, now, I, you all know Illinois, our state is very uh, left politically, very Democrat. Uh, the values politically of our people in this state tend to not line up very well with the Bible, generally speaking, okay? And, and so I thought when I started contacting churches, you know, there's probably not a lot of independent Baptist churches in Illinois. And I was wrong. And I was pretty amazed when I started contacting churches, some of these small towns and in, in rural places in Illinois, we'll have like three, four, five, six, seven, eight, sometimes independent Baptist churches. I just was amazed. Uh, you know, any American can walk into Walmart and buy it. You can get a King James Bible in a language that you understand. We can, uh, if we were to pull out our phones right now and go to our app store, you can find how many different Bible apps. If you were to go on YouTube right now, how many sermons are out there right now about how to be saved and how to be born again? And well, now there's we have radio programs, okay? And I would dare say that the majority of Americans live within driving distance of a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church. If an American dies and goes to hell, 
Well, number one, it's because all men are sinners, okay? But number two, it's not, it's not because he didn't have a, the Bible in his language, or he didn't have, it's most likely not because he didn't have other Christians that were somebody nearby him, or there wasn't a church for him to go to. I mean, any American right now who's just curious about the things of God can go on Google right now, and I mean, there's tons of websites out there defending Christianity, uh, you know, whatnot, explaining that. But man, there's people around the world that don't have any of that stuff. Not a single website or a single app on their phone or a single verse of the scriptures that's, that's translated in their language. Okay? Now I want to give you some um, practical things, give you, talk about some things that we can do. Uh, the, the biggest need for believers today is that believers would surrender to God. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. And I won't go through the rest of the verse, but he says, I beseech you. Now, that word beseech is the idea of, like, I'm pleading with you. I'm, I'm requesting of you. It's stronger than a request, though. It's like a very strong request, okay? Almost like begging, but not quite. He says, I beseech you, therefore. Now, there, words like therefore in the Bible, whenever you see a word like therefore or for or because, those are connector words, and they're important when, to pay attention to. I beseech you, therefore. Now, we know that that's verse number one in chapter 12, but, you know, those chapter breaks weren't necessarily, when, when the Apostle Paul wrote the epistle to the Romans, he didn't necessarily put chapter breaks in there, okay? And so, I beseech you, therefore, you got to think back on what's talked about in the book of Romans. And he gives you a little bit of a hint. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. And so if we were to think about the, the, the stuff that's said in Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3, and it talks about how God's wrath is upon all ungodliness, all sin. There's none righteous, no, not one. All has sinned and come short of the glory of God. And you read Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3, it doesn't give a good picture up for us. Because man, we're, we're sinful before God. We're deserving of God's wrath. We're deserving of hell. And there's no good deed that we can do. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3 that by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in God's eyes. And if it just ended there, that wouldn't... Uh, you're like, where's the mercy and all that? There's not a lot of mercy there. But when you get to Romans chapter 4 and 5, where Jesus is introduced into the picture, where we, we read about how when we were ungodly and sinners, that God, he commended his love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we read out, when we believe in Jesus, we're justified by faith, and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I could... Go on and on and on about this, this grace and this mercy that God has shown to us. And it doesn't even end there. We could talk in Romans 6 and 7 about how God's, we're, we're delivered from sin. We're not, we're not slaves to sin anymore. We could talk in Romans chapter 8 about how God promises all things are working together for good and how nothing will separate us from the love of God. And now, There's more things I could talk about from the book of Romans, but I just don't have the time. But... When you get to this, where Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, 
that you present your body as a living sacrifice. It's the mercy that God has shown to us is to motivate us to live for him. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. And so, you know, I remember for me, I got saved in November of 2011. I was a drug addict. I was a, I was a fornicator. I was a liar, a, a thief. I mean, I was, I was bad. Okay, We're all bad. We're all sinners, okay? And I got saved. God was gracious and merciful. He allowed me to, he led me to go to this church. I went there. I started hearing the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The spirit of God began working in my heart. I, I realized I wasn't a good person. I realized I deserved to die and go to hell. And I heard about how God loved me and how Jesus Christ died for me. And the spirit of God was drawing me to, to God. And, and I trusted in Christ. And I got saved. And God forgave me. And then God began working in my heart. And I, you know, I didn't quite start living for him right away. But God began working in my heart, and I started to realize that God was good to me. I started, I remember one day I was thinking, and I thought, you know, I got a bed to go and uh, lay down, and I have a pillow to put my head up on tonight. And, you know, I've never known what it's like to legitimately be starving. You know, my, my parents, even though they got divorced when I was about seven, my mom always took really good care of us, always provided for our needs. And I just began looking. And, and I remember at 19 years old feeling gratitude for the first time in my life. I tell you what, Amer us Americans, we, people who live in America, we are generally, we are so ungrateful. We are so unbelievably spoiled. Um, I know the pastor, I was reading on their, your, your Facebook page that they didn't have power. And it reminded me of uh, the, last, the second time I went to Uganda. Like we would only have power like Five to eight hours out of every, in any 24-hour period. We had like a four-day period where there was no running water. And uh, you just, you, you go outside of America, you see how some people live. And man, the 99.99% of Americans live better than like 99% of people that have ever existed in all of existence, right? And then we still complain and gripe and feel like, you know, God's not been fair to me or not good enough to me or whatnot, you know? And... Uh, I remember at 19 years old, realizing God's good to me, understanding it, believing it, and then feeling shame because I was looking at the way I was living and I was just kind of living for myself. And I remember crying one night and telling God I was sorry for how I was living and decided to live for him. I went to my pastor and said, Pastor, I want to be more involved. What can I do? He said, we go out, we knock on doors on Sunday afternoons and we preach the gospel to people. I started doing that. I started reading the Bible every single day. I started going to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Anytime there was an activity going on at the church, um, I was there and, and just got rid of a lot of my old friends and got rid of a lot of my old music and I mean, just total life change. What Christianity is supposed to be is, you know, you were a wicked sinner. You were, you, God deserved to, you deserve for God to just drop you right in the hell. And, uh, you know, I think it was Jonathan Edwards, I think he preached a sermon and he painted this idea of we're like hanging from the hands of God by like these threads over fire. And the only thing that's keeping us from dropping down in those flames is the mercy of God. And you realize that God is totally justified and he's totally righteous at any time to send you to hell. At any time. He would be one 100% justified in that. And it's only His grace and His mercy that allows us to take one more breath. Every moment that we spend not in hell is because of the grace and the mercy of God. 
Okay? And when we believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, we enter into a covenant, as it were, with God, that God has agreed he's forgiven us of all of our sin, and he's justified us, and we will never come into condemnation, and God will never leave us nor forsake us, and we'll never, we'll never not be saved or not be forgiven, okay? And what God intends is for us to reflect upon the grace and the mercy which he's shown to us, to remember how God worked in our life, to how somehow he caused you to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as a believer, when you believed that he forgave you, his intention is for us to remember his mercy and for us to, out of understanding his love for us, that we would love him back and that we would then serve him. That is what Christianity is. It's a relationship that I have with a God who's good to me, who he loved me first, when I, did, I could have cared less about him. All I cared about was myself, and yet he still loved me, and he still saved me, and now I live for him because he first loved me. That's Christianity, okay? And uh, I, I wonder about believers that, you know, sometimes it's just like, you know, you can be a saved believer without loving God. You can be saved and not be grateful. You know, we can, we can still be saved and we can still live for ourselves. We need, there needs to be a time in our life where we realize that life's not about me. I'm not supposed to be the king of my own life. Life's not about just me trying to do everything I can possibly get my hands on to make me feel good and make me feel better. And many, I believe all believers, there needs to be this initial moment where we realize, wow, I need to live for him. And, and, for, and then beyond that, there are times where we need to renew that and we need to be reminded of that. There are times where we get distracted and we forget what, what our purpose is, which is to live for God. And I think that there are just a lot of people in our churches that are just not surrendered to God. We just have a lot of people in our church that we just don't love God. We have a lot of people that instead of living for God, we're more concerned with making ourselves comfortable, doing things that are convenient for us. Doing and chasing our hobbies and our pleasures and the things that make us happy. And a lot of Americans are just living for the American dream. You know, the American dream is not Christian, okay? This idea of, you know, getting ahead and I want to have the big house and the big car and all these nice things. That doesn't always necessarily coincide with Christianity, okay? And uh, pastors get up and they pour their hearts out preaching and teaching the scriptures and, you know, teaching people what it means to be a believer and to do right. And, you know, we try a missionary comes in. I try I, I, I teach on these things like the Great Commission. And, and I think the problem is in a lot of churches is just, we're just preaching and teaching the people that just don't care about the things of God, that their heart is just not. I want to do the things of God. There are a lot of people in our churches. I, I don't understand these people. And there are probably some of them that are in this room right now. You know the people that every once in a while they'll come into church on a Sunday morning? And then Sunday night, I don't know where they go. They're sucked into a black hole somewhere. 
I wonder about people like that. I wonder about people like that because I wonder, you know, what's their life like on a Monday or a Tuesday or Wednesday? You do realize that just because you're sitting here in church in this building on a Sunday morning, that when you walk out of there, it's not like just because you went to church that now I have a ticket from God to live however I want now for the rest of the week. Or like, God can't see me now. Hey God, I went to church Sunday morning, so now you can't see what I'm doing the rest of the week. We laugh at that, but there are people that live like that. I don't understand these people. Why even come to church? Here's how I think about things, okay? If you're going to do something, do it. If you're not going to do it, don't do it. If you don't really want to please God, you don't really love God, you're not really concerned about the things of God, why come? Why come? Why waste your time? And if you're going to do it, do it. If you're going to if you believe what if you believe the Bible is the word of God and you believe Jesus Christ died from your sin, for your sin. And you believe that one day you're going to give an account to God and we believe one day we're going to be rewarded. And we believe there's a heaven and we believe that there really is a hell. You got to do all of it. Complete and we don't like that, okay? We want to we wanna be in control. We want to live and, and direct our lives. And I want to give you some real practical things we can do to fulfill the Great Commission. But if your heart's not in it, I'm just going to be blowing smoke and just talking. So search your hearts. You love God. How could you not love God after what, it, when, what he's done for us? And Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. All right, so now that I got that out of the way, there are just these real practical things we could do. I'm going to go through these real quickly. Like financial giving is a part of fulfilling the Great Commission. Uh, I'll start off first and foremost, you know, like taking care of your pastor. Pretty basic elementary thing. Uh, you know, the Bible talks about a, 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 an elder who labors in word and doctrine is worthy of double honor. And you go and you study that out. It's talking about taking care of them physically and financially. And, you know, the lights, right? It's not like God just has a bank account that he just puts money into, okay? Gospel tracts and bus ministries and van ministries and all these different things. that These things take money. I don't know. Do you guys do like faith promise missions here? Okay, faith promise missions. You guys, you guys do faith promise missions where you typically a church will every year will pray. They ask the members, pray. What, what, what does God want you to give to missions this year and people will pray and they'll make commitments and if you made those commitments wow you better be faithful to that that is so important people who are going and fulfilling the great commission that are depending upon churches uh missionaries that are depending upon them and you know give financially i was reading an article just a minute ago well right before we started the service it said that if every christian gave 10% of their income to missions, um, it, they said that there would be enough finances to reach every single unreached people group in the whole world. If a, every person just gave 10% of their income to missions, okay? So there's a financial aspect, okay? Missions takes money, okay? I can't really go to Uganda and, like, work a job there. It's illegal, okay? So there's a financial aspect. Pray, Wow, do we need to pray that God will send laborers into the harvest, right? 
Hope you pray for your missionaries. Okay. And then the lastly the, the, is to just go and preach the gospel to people. Okay. You realize preaching the gospel is not just for the pastor and the missionaries. Right? You all are salt and light. We're all ambassadors for Jesus Christ. And you have friends and family members and coworkers that it's your responsibility to reach them, and it's not necessarily mine, okay? A, a pet peeve of mine is when people think that in order for their loved one or their friend and their family member to get saved, you have to somehow get them to come into the church building. I can't. That's just a huge pet peeve, and I'm not against that because that's how I got saved. But I got saved, it was a combination of that, and I had a friend of mine who was, like, telling me what the Bible says, like, working with me one-on-one and whatnot. Every believer is to be preaching the gospel to people and testifying that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again, and giving testimony of how God saved them and how God worked in their life. We're all to be doing that. So you can go and preach the gospel to people you know. There's a need for, we need people to go... There's a need for people to go into missions. We need people to surrender to, buy, to be Bible translators and to be pioneer-type church-planting missionaries. And there are thousands of unreached people groups, and there's around 2,000 languages that right now that God is just waiting for somebody and looking for somebody to say, you know, wow, that's really terrible that there, there's this language or these people out there that don't have the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I... You know, I need to go and do something about it. Tons of people out there. But I know how it is. We can come up with all sorts of reasons why that's not what God wants me to do. And I'm not saying every person has to be a Bible translator or a missionary. But I hate that as soon as I say that, like 99.99% of people hear hear that and say, yeah, definitely not me. I hate because I know that's what people think. We think that way. Uh, in Ezekiel, God was looking for a man to stand in the gap that he might not destroy the land, and he didn't find no one. And uh, today there are Bibleist languages and people groups that are just completely barren and unreached and sitting in darkness, and we sit here in our, our material prosperity in America with our plethora of Christian resources that are around us and try to justify to ourselves, the majority of us justifying to ourselves why it's just better for us to just stay here and whatnot. And I don't know. It's just sad. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying everybody's supposed to go be a missionary, but a lot more should. So we explained the Great Commission, and we talked about, we focused on how that word nation means like a tribe or a people group. We examined it about how 29% of the world is unreached, with typically only 3% of all missionaries, with 1% of missions giving, going to unreached people groups. We talked about how there's around 2,000 languages that don't have a translation of the Bible started. And we gave you some practical things. We talked about our need to be surrendered. We talked about financial giving. We talked about praying briefly. We talked about going and preaching the gospel. We talked about the need for people to go and be missionaries. And I want to just close. I want to tell you a story. But uh, first, there's a passage in Ephesians that talks about how the nations out there, it says they're alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them and the blindness of their heart. 
You know, people out there who don't know about Jesus Christ, they're strangers to God. He's a stranger to them. They don't know about him. He's a foreign, God is foreign to them. And they're alienated from the life of God. And when we think of the word life of God, there's a lot in that phrase. We, there's eternal life. But, uh, you know, Jesus talked about Christians. We, we have what's called abundant life. Now, uh, my wife's not here, but her brother is here. My brother-in-law, Jesse, here. Jesse grew up in a conservative Christian home. And he grew up learning about the Bible, learning about Jesus. You've probably been in church since, like, the time you were a baby, right? And, 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 and he heard the gospel at a very young age. And he's been preserved from quite a lot of things out there that maybe somebody like me uh, hasn't been. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't grow up that way. And uh, people who grow up without God, life is different. People go through life without hope without peace and people will turn to all sorts of things like drugs and alcohol and life is difficult and it gets hard and people will consider suicide because people don't have hope and it's because people are alienated from the life of God and man mankind we were never intended to live apart from God we're not, we're not intended to just go through life living our own thing determining our own destiny uh, determining reality for ourselves and uh, determining what's what's good and what's bad. We were never intended to function that way. And when people function like that without God, it has its repercussions. And there's a huge difference between that person who, who's without God and any believer that's in this room today. Because any believer that's in this room today has peace with God. You know that the Bible says all things together work for good. And you know that one day God's going to wipe away all the tears and all the pain, right? And if you've been saved for a while or if you grew up in a Christian home, it's very hard to understand these people out here that don't have that. It's so hard. I, my life before I became a believer and my life now is night and day difference. As far as the east is from the west, I mean, they're just so different. Let me tell you this story and then we'll be done. I have a friend who's a missionary in the Congo. In order to get a long-term visa, he had to go work in a hospital short-term. And he, the, the people that were there, this ethnic group, were called the Lingala people. And my friend picked up just a little bit of the language, not a lot. And there was a man there who was weeping, and he was crying because his, his baby had died or his child had died. And uh, I just uh, my son was just born recently, and now I'm sensitive to to hearing about people talking about children and the problems and like it, it's like I never paid attention to it before. And uh, I guess it's hard if you're not a parent to understand that. But now that I am one, just all the emotion and the pain that would go into your child dying. Have you ever been to a funeral for a person who wasn't a believer where the most of the people were there were not believers? I have. And the, the only way to describe it is pitiful, sad. We, they sorrowed without hope. No assurance of there being any, any reconciliation or seeing that person again or having no concept of what's, what's after the grave. So here's a man who's weeping. And my friend comes to him and he says, you know, 
in Lingala. I don't know how he says it exactly, but, you know, Jesus loves you. Jesus sees your pain. And the man says to him, Nani Yesu. Nani Yesu means who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Who is that person? Who are you talking about? And uh, all around the world, there are people that uh, are without hope. And they're in bondage to sin. And they're sinning every day and they're storing up God's wrath. And they're going through life and their babies are dying. They're having marriage problems. And they're having job issues and inner family personal relationship issues and all sorts of different issues and sin problems and addictions and a lot of people have their they have their religions that are religions don't give them peace and don't give them comfort and they're going through life and and for many people around the world if you were going to go up to one of those people today these people that don't have the bible in their language and don't have churches and you were to go up to them right now and say Jesus loves you Jesus sees your pain they would just look at you and say, who's Jesus? Who is Jesus? It's our responsibility, our purpose as, as Christians, is that people would know the answer to that question. That they would know who Jesus is. That he came, that he died for their sins, that he was buried and rose from the dead. And all around the world today, there are languages that do not have Genesis 1-1 or John 3:16 translated, that there are not churches there where the people can go to and hear about Jesus because nobody has brought it to them. And all around the world, there are people that would say, who is Jesus? Here's my question to you. Well, first of all, you realize that God loves you and he died for you, was buried and rose again? Have you believed that yet and trusted in Christ? And have you been saved? Do you love God? We love him because he first loved us, right? How can we show appreciation to God for what he's done for us? What does he care about? What is important to God? To go into all the world... Preach the gospel to every creature and to reach all nations. You want to love God? Start getting involved in the Great Commission. I don't know what that looks like for you, whether it's praying for missionaries and whatnot, and whether it's more financial sacrifice in giving, whether it's just being obedient and preaching the gospel to people around you or whether it's that making the sacrifice of giving your life to go translate the Bible or to go be a pioneer church planning missionary or pastor or an evangelist or whatever. So my question is just very simple. What does God want you to do in having your part in reaching all nations and answering the question that many that 2.1 billion people around the world would have of who is Jesus? Answer.
Caprice uh, brother correctly and not pulling any punches. That's that's what our church needs, doesn't it? Uh, we we are to be soul winners. We are to be people who are loving Jesus Christ, and through our love, we are going to through our love for Jesus Christ, we are going to be performing that great commission. And he he touched on some things, some pretty hard things that our church needed to hear. So I ask you today, we're going to have a small invitation. God spoke to your heart today. Maybe you're here and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You heard that message and you heard him talk about the idea of, of, uh, of surrendering your life to Jesus Christ, uh, turning to God. If you've never done that today, please take advantage of it. God is out there. He's just, he's just got his arms open wide. He's waiting for you to turn from your sin and turn to the Savior. Now, if you're saved in here and you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior, boy, he mentioned some things, didn't he? He mentioned some things that we all need to work on. Well, I've got convicted on a few things. And I ask you today, if God spoke to your heart, you come, you make some decisions as they're in play. Let's stand together.